You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Che. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. Let's make sure our cell phones are on silent, please. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. You know, I, 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 I don't know if I'm going to do much preaching tonight, Miss Amanda. I think I'll talk to you all as my Wednesday night crowd. Now you know me. I'll sneak some preaching in there when I can. But I want to talk to you as if we were sitting across a table, as if you had asked me if I had something on my mind, anything that you could help me pray for, Anything that you could pray with me about, I think this would be my answer to you all. The Lord is going to build his church. I believe he will build his church through people, by using people. And I do believe that he will use a Wednesday night crowd before he will use anybody else. I don't say that to make you proud. I don't say that to put any added pressure on you. I just want to get you pers- give you some perspective that there is something special about people who come on a Wednesday night. You encourage me, and I think you bless the Lord. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. I don't even want to read the whole verse. I just want to read five words in the verse. Jesus speaking, and he says, I will build my church. Heavenly Father, please bless the preaching of your word. Thank you so much for your people who are here tonight. Speak to us and let lives be changed tonight. We don't want this. I know that I don't want this to be just another, another Wednesday night where we come in and we sit and we hear and we leave like this is some concert. Lord, we are hearing from the very word of God, and I ask that you would get me out of the way or use me in any way that you can if I found grace in your sight. Do it for your sake. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. In my opinion, Matthew 16, 18 contains one of the most exciting promises that the Lord gave in his ministry. Along with his action to start his church and along with his command to us to be stewards of his church, he gave a promise that he will build his church. He will grow his church. Building, the word building has the implication of growth built right into it. He will progress it. He will enlarge it. He will advance it. He's talking about improvement. He's talking about headway. He's talking about increase. No, I knew you know what growth meant, but I just got a new thesaurus and I wanted to show off. Jesus gave this promise, and you understand he didn't give this promise only to the, and, and I hate to even use this because it's, so, it's been so abused, but he, he didn't just give this to the unified overall body of Christ, which is the church of the living God, right? When he promised, I will build my church, he's not just talking about it as a whole. He's talking about each and every local Bible-preaching, gospel-giving church has the promise, I will build you. I will advance you. I will progress you. I will increase you. So then why do some churches not see growth? Why do some churches see little to no progress? Why can some churches exist for decades multiple decades, and never see above 100, never see or rarely see people saved or baptized, rarely see people added to the church. Why do some churches stay the same size spiritually, financially, and numerically when Jesus gave a promise, I will build my church? Now we understand that based on a church's location, based on their population density, based on a a lot of other factors. Certain churches may never 
grow to large numbers. We understand that. Certain churches may never see vast growth in their giving. They should always see spiritual growth, no matter where they are. They should always see spiritual growth, but they may not see building in those other areas. We understand that. But I believe that there are many churches that do not grow. Let me, let me restart. I believe that there are more churches that do not grow than Jesus intends for there to be. So maybe a better question to ask would, why do some churches who have every potential to grow, why do some churches who have every potential to be built spiritually, financially, and numerically, why do some churches who have that potential not see growth even when Jesus promised, I will build my church? I want to prepare you tonight. I want to comfort you. I want to encourage you through God's word. But I, I want to challenge you overall with something that very few churches know. But it is something that every growing church must know. And it's something that every large church does know. And what do I mean by large? Any church that is over the average and the average church is right around 100 to 150. Any church that breaks that ceiling goes from the 150 to the 200 and then the more and more and more and more. Every church that has ever done that knows what I am going to tell you tonight. Because it's not a secret. But few, few churches know it. Growing churches must know it. Large churches do know it. Large churches can forget it. So I want to talk to you tonight on how Jesus builds his church. So along with any promise of divine progress comes a divine process. So let me make some just basic preliminary statements here. Along with any promise of divine progress comes a divine process. A divine process will be different than any human process. Do, you, do me a favor and shake your head if, if, if we are following along, or I will start over. A divine process is going to be different than any human process. But without a divine process, we will never see divine progress. Since the divine process is different than a human process, human nature is to replace a divine process with a human process, but no human process will ever achieve divine progress. So therefore, we must conclude, if any church will see divine progress, the members of that church must submit themselves to the divine process. If any church will be built, it will be built Jesus' way. And I am persuaded that many churches who could grow don't grow because the members don't know the divine process or they don't understand the divine process. Because whether you know it or not, the divine process is going to be in action. It will help us if we know it, because before we ever understand it, we, we need to know that, that it's there. But because some churches, many churches, do not understand this divine process, one of three things happen. When this divine process is put in place in order to achieve or in order to allow the Lord to keep his promise, I will build my church. One of three things happen when the church members do not understand that process. 
Option number one, we get arrogant and we replace his process with our process. No, we're going to do this our way because your way doesn't make sense or your way is uncomfortable. Which, by the way, if, God, if, if God's will is not constantly making you uncomfortable, right. probably not doing what you should be doing. But that's a different message entirely. So I will not come on. I will move on. <laughs> Number one, we get arrogant and we say, you know what, God, we're just going to do this our way. Number two, we get discouraged and people leave. Members get discouraged during the process and they leave because they have no patience with the divine process. And if there is one major difference between divine process and human process is divine process is slow and human process is not. And we don't like that. And so when people see this divine process going into place and they have no patience with it and they have no trust with it, they leave, especially pastors, especially pastors. This is why many pastors go and they stay for about five or six years or maybe a decade and then pew, because they've gone through their messages that, they've, that they're used to preaching and they lull the people to sleep or they're going through and they're seeing growth and everything's good and everything's good, but then something changes, which we'll get into in just a little bit, and they stop trusting the Lord and they stop having patience to stick it out. You know, the Bible says, they that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish. And a lot of pastors are looking for flourishing without planting. And a lot of members are looking for flourishing without planting. I understand that the Lord moves people. I understand. Now, I have no intention of going anywhere, but the Lord could move me. I have no intention. Please do not leave here thinking you're getting rid of me that easily. I have no intention. When I told the Lord I wanted to be pastor, I, I, I will accept the pastorate here. It was for life in my heart. And it was for life in my mind. But you understand, the Lord can move people. But if he's going to move you, make him uproot a very deep tree. But if your roots are not deep, it might take a lot less than God to get you to move. Plant yourself so deep, only God can get you to move. Not a recession, not depression, not stress, not anything else. Plant yourself so deep, only God can get you to move. But what happens is when this process comes through, some people get discouraged and they leave. That's option number two. Option number three, people get scared and they fight the divine process. Now, they're not going to leave but they're going to fight it. And they fight it with terms like this. We just like how things are now. We've been a small church and we're always going to be a small church. And I like my small church. Now there are some small churches out there. And it's sometimes it's the Lord's will for churches to stay small. A, a, a church in the mountains of Montana. Are there mountains in Montana? Probably not. A church in the plains of Montana probably ain't going to be running 5,000, okay? But let's just make it personal here. We have a city of 360,000 people. I just happen to believe the Lord has plans. And I've, I've had people tell me, not even Lester Roloff could build a church in Corpus Christi. Well, I guess I don't know any better. Just shush. So my purpose, the purpose of my message is to show you. In this divine process, don't get arrogant and think we're just going to do it our way. Don't get discouraged and leave. And don't get scared with it. So let me show you Jesus' divine process for building a church. Is it slow and constant growth over years? Is it fast and instant growth after many years of faithfulness? Is it always forward, never backward? Is it sometimes up, sometimes down? Is it 
more down than up, but the ups are bigger than the downs? I mean, how, 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 how does it work? Now, can you think of a better way to determine how Jesus builds his church other than looking at how he built the first one? So then let's look at how he built the first one. Let's turn to the book of Acts. I'm not going to tell you exactly where you are right now because you'll cheat and start reading ahead. But let's talk about the book of Acts. We have what we will call the church at Jerusalem, Brother Danny. Charter membership number. How many? 120. Charter membership number, 120. By the time we get to Acts chapter 4, 5,000, possibly 8,000. Okay, some, some growth happened there. Some building happened there. Let's figure out where it came from, right? So we have a local gospel preaching biblical church that has been formed in Acts. And the promise, I will build my church, has been spoken to her. They spend days in unified prayer. Days in unified prayer. The day of Pentecost fully comes. They are all filled with the Holy Spirit and they preach. So this church makes its first move. This church launches its first attack against the lost people in Jerusalem. It, it stakes its first claim upon the promise, I will build my church. And about 3,000 people gladly received the word of the Lord and were baptized. And church, you need to understand, God can do that again. And not only can he do it again, I think he wants to do it again. Do you, do you realize we are, always one, we are always only one service away from thousands joining? Do you not believe that? We are always only one service. That's all it took here? Do you think they were expecting that? Or do you think they just prayed and relied on the Holy Spirit and preached the gospel? That's all they did. Can we not pray? Can we not rely on the same Holy Spirit? Do we not have the same gospel? We are always only one service away. From one person in here catching fire and going out and, and bring, you know, the, there was this one lady, this one time, who got saved and went back into her city and brought the entire city back with her to church. First Baptist Church of the Sychar Well. One service away. God can do it. I think God wants to do it. I think God will do it if we understood the process. 3,000 people gladly received his word. But there's, there's one word that the Bible uses twice, one specific word that I want you to see. In Acts chapter 2, between verses 41 and 47. And I'm not going to have you guess it. I, I will, I'll put a certain lilt in my voice to give you a hint as to which, which word it is, okay? Verse 41, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added... Unto them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all they that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. You know, I need to add something else here also. They prayed, they relied on the Holy Spirit, they preached, and they loved one another. That's what we just read. They loved one another. It's very important. You can do these three and not do that, and God will have no part. Because it's not a church when you don't do that. It's not a church. In order to be a church, you got to do all that. Okay, but Jesus builds his church how? Number one, addition. Firstly, by addition. So Heritage Baptist Church. If we spend time in prayer, if we rely on the Holy Spirit, if we preach boldly and purely, and if we love one another, 
Jesus will add people to our church. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to start over. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But you all are looking at me like a calf looking at a new gate. Are you, are you okay? Addition. If we, okay, if we spend time in prayer and if we rely on the Holy Spirit and if we preach boldly and purely and if we love one another, Jesus will add people to our church. Now, maybe, now maybe some of you are quiet because you're wondering, are we seeing people added right now? It's a good question. We'll come back to that. Well, no, let's deal with it now. The problem is, many times we don't pray. It, it, isn't that the truth? Many times we don't pray. And instead of relying on the Holy Spirit, we rely on our own strength. We teach in our own strength. Or I preach in my own strength. Or we pray in our own strength. Or we give in our own strength. Or we usher in our own strength. Do I really need the Holy Spirit's power to usher? Yes. This is God's work. You need God's power to work in the nursery. You need Holy Spirit power and patience to run a bus route. You need Holy Spirit power to lead a youth group. You need Holy Spirit power to go soul winning. You need Holy Spirit power to sing up here, to sing in the choir, to play the piano, to play the organ, to play in the orchestra, to sing up here at a special. You need Holy Spirit power. You don't need vocal lessons. Some of the most powerful specials up here have not been from the greatest singers, but they've been from the deepest hearts because they had Holy Spirit power to greet guests. We need Holy Spirit power, but a lot of times we don't have that. We just go on our own strength. And instead of preaching with boldness and with purity, we often stay silent or we share the message with sin in our heart. And you cannot share a holy message without a holy messenger. But when I observe this first church and when I observe any church in history that has seen growth, and when I even look back in, in the history very recently of Heritage Baptist Church, when we have seen growth, when we pray, and when we rely on the Holy Spirit, and when we preach boldly and purely, and when we love one another, stop bickering with one another and start loving one another whenever I've seen that. Here in history, in the Bible, Jesus adds to his church. Therefore, if we are not seeing people added to the church, we have to ask, are we praying? Are we relying on the Holy Ghost? Am I relying on the Holy Ghost for my part in this? When's the last time, if ever, somebody else would have said of you, that person is filled with the Holy Ghost? If Brother Ben staggered up onto this, onto this platform, I am never going to get done with this. If he staggered up onto this platform tonight, plastered, drunk. We would say um, men's meeting. <laughs> Brother Ben, you can't do that. Okay, that's sin. That's sin. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, be ye not, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. Don't do that. But be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, it is just as wrong to not be filled with the Spirit than it is to be filled with drink. So when's the last time we had the Holy Spirit's touch upon our lives? Are we preaching boldly and purely? Because if we will ever see God do His part, we've got to do ours. And that's why in chapter 3 and 4, you see more prayer and you see more relying on the Holy Spirit, and you see more preaching, and you see more love, and you see more people being added to the church. That's how Jesus builds his church. Now, we would love for that process to continue, right? Let's just keep praying, and keep relying, and keep preaching, and keep loving, and God, you keep adding. 
But it doesn't work like that. Wish it did, but it does not work like that. Why? Because whenever Jesus adds to a church, the devil will add to it too. The devil doesn't destroy a church by attacking it from the outside. He destroys it by sending spies to the inside. He does not destroy the harvest of God's kingdom by setting fire to the field. He sows tares among the wheat. Acts chapter 5. You read in 3 and 4, and it's just prayer and reliance and preaching and love and prayer and reliance and preaching and love and persecution and preaching anyway and persecution and preaching anyway and power, 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 power. Chapter 5, but, but you have these two, okay? And these two get Satan in their heart. Satan infiltrates the church through these two and they mess up big time. And they're giving an opportunity. They're given an opportunity. You want to get this right? You want to tell us what's actually going on here? No, no, no. I don't know what, what you're talking about. Why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? Dead. Done. Wife comes in three hours later. Why? She just got a bunch of money. She's shopping. <laughs> comes in three hours later. We're going to give you a chance. Just like we gave Ananias, we're going to give you a chance too. Are you going to tell us what's going on here? Oh, no, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Same, per, same people that carried out your husband are going to carry you out. Bam, dead, done. How does Jesus build his church? First, addition. Second, you want to guess? Subtraction. There are some things, and there are some programs, and there are some philosophies. There are some things in a church. There are some programs in a church. There are some philosophies in a church. There are some approaches in a church. There are even some people in a church that cannot stay if the Lord is going to build his church. Now, we don't like this, do we? We don't like this. We do not like this part. This is the part where our human process very much doesn't match with Jesus' divine process. This is the part that keeps pastors up at night. This is the part that breaks hearts, the hearts of pastors more than any other time. This is the time that sheds tears. But this is the time when people are leaving the church, not joining. And churches go through it. Subtraction is the time people are leaving and they are not joining. Subtraction is the time it seems like we're going backwards and we're not going forward. And we're used to going forward. We're used to adding and adding and adding and adding, but we, now what's going on? Now it seems like we're going backward. This is the time when it's easy to get frustrated. This is, this is the time where it's easy to say, man, we're just not growing like we used to. This is also the time when a church compromises, they compromise to keep the growth that they have been seeing rather than letting Jesus build his church. Now listen, no church likes subtraction. No pastor likes subtraction. Jesus doesn't like subtraction. But get something down deep in your heart tonight, Wednesday night crowd, only a pure church is a powerful church. And a church will never see victory without purity. But there cannot be purity without purging. And there cannot be purging without loss of material. When you put a piece of gold into the fire and let it melt down, the impurities are going to come to the top. You will a, a purer piece of gold will come out, but a smaller piece of gold will come out. Same thing with the church. How do you think Gideon felt when God subtracted his army from 32,000 to 10,000. I'm guessing he didn't say, cool. This is great. Really bolstering my confidence, Lord. I think he's going to say, you know, we're going backwards. This is not what an army is supposed to do. 
But you know how those first 22,000 were subtracted? Who's afraid? Who's afraid of the battle to come? Because Gideon, what good are those 22,000 soldiers going to do to you if they're afraid of the battle that you have to fight? What good are those 22,000 going to do for you when they don't even believe in the cause that you're fighting for? Enough to have courage in the face of their fear. Would you rather them leave now or in the middle of the battle? What would you rather, Gideon? How do you think? When God leads a church into the battle of a building program, sometimes he's going to need to subtract people who are afraid of that battle. Sometimes he's going to need to subtract people who don't believe in it. Church, we don't like it. I don't like it. You think I like it? You think I don't cry? But how much damage or how much profit will they bring if they're afraid and too afraid to rely and trust in the Lord? How do you think Gideon felt when the Lord subtracted his army from 10,000 to 300? Lord, what are you doing? I don't understand. I know, Gideon, but what good are those 9,700 men who aren't focused on the battle? How did he whittle out those 9,700? Take them down to the water and see which ones reach with their hand to their mouth. What's their other hand doing? Probably holding something important. Which ones bring it up to their mouth? And which ones throw everything down, forget that they're soldiers, and just get down and enjoy? How do you think Gideon felt when God subtracted his weapons and his battle plans? Lord, that's not the way to win battles. So what is God doing? What is God doing through the subtraction? There's a purpose to his subtraction. He wasn't just making some random point. There's a purpose to it. He's teaching Gideon, it's better. It's better to have a small group who are willing and ready and trusting than a very large group who are not. If Gideon would have kept the 32,000, I guarantee you, the Lord only would have used those same 300. But all those 31,700 others would have been dead weight and distraction. Before Israel can leave Sinai and move on to the promised land, the idolaters need to be subtracted. Before they can continue in the wilderness, Korah and his rebels need to be subtracted. Before Joshua can conquer Ai, the sin of uncircumcision among them needs to be subtracted. Before the battle of Ai can be won, Achan needs to be subtracted. And before the church in Jerusalem can move forward with Jesus building it, Ananias and Sapphira must repent or be subtracted. And notice that with me in all of those instances that I just gave. Jesus always tries to subtract the sin from the heart before he subtracts the actual person. On every single time he went to the Israelites and he said, hey, who's on the Lord's side? And then when they start going through the wilderness, who's going to stand with Korah and who's going to stand with us? Repenting chance. And then Joshua to Jericho, your choice, man, what are you going to do? Are you going to cross the Jordan uncircumcised? Or are you going to do this? Ai and Achan, hey, you have an entire day. You have an entire day to come forward. But he didn't. Ananias and Sapphira, you want to be honest? No. No. 
These times can be discouraging. They can be frustrating. They can be heartbreaking. They can be confusing. They can be scary. But subtracting bad material is just as much a part of building a church as adding good material. Does that mean that everybody who's ever left a church is bad material? No, 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 no. I'm not saying that. But when the Lord gives them constant chances to get right and they don't, you better believe the Lord is going to do everything he can to get them right or get them out. So how long does this subtraction phase take? As long as it takes. But the Lord will not empower an impure church. He will not add when subtraction needs to happen. Now, once he subtracts, what's next? Well, we see right after Ananias and Sapphira in verse 14, look what it says. The believers were the more added. Hey, we're back on the right track. We're back on the right track. I guarantee you tears were shed over Ananias and Sapphira. They had their chance to get right. They didn't. They needed to be subtracted. And the Lord said, okay, we're done. Let's move forward. Chapter 5, verse 42. Oh, I've got to hurry. <clears throat> After all this happens daily in the temple, daily in the temple, in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. I did, I did not read chapter 5 today, but if you read it, I'm guessing you're going to find more prayer and more reliance on the Holy Spirit and more preaching boldly and purely and more love for one another. And they keep on going daily every, in every single house, doing it more, 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 more. And in those days, chapter 6, in those days when the number of the disciples, ooh, we have something different now, multiplied. How does Jesus build his church? Addition, subtraction, multiplication. Now we like that one. Every church wants that one. But mark it down. Before God multiplies, he subtracts. Before God blesses, he purges. But we were doing so well. Why doesn't he just leave it alone? Every branch in me that bringeth forth fruit already, I'm going to purge that one. Why? So that I can bring forth more. How many churches, I, wa I wonder, how many churches have quit and compromised during the subtraction phase? Never realizing how close they were to the multiplication phase. How many pastors see people leaving the church, Brother James? So they compromise their message to keep the people that the Lord is actively trying to know. How many churches change their approach in order to keep things and programs and philosophies and approaches and people never realizing that those things that they're fighting to keep might need to go. In order for God, now, now I'm not talking about doctrine, I'm not talking about truth, I'm not talking about any of that. But they're going to fight to keep their traditions. Well, we've always done it this way. And, and I'm not going to go into any specifics there. But they, they spend all their time fighting to keep what the Lord might be actively trying to subtract. Now, I am not saying we don't fight to keep people. You know that, right? I'm not saying we don't fight to keep people. We leave the 99 to go and find the one. But if the only way to keep people is by not keeping the truth, they need to be subtracted. They need to be subtracted. And every, I, can, I do not know of one Biblical church who has ever experienced multiplication that did not experience subtraction. First Baptist Church in Hammond that got a membership role at one point above 100,000 names. But usually on a Sunday, anywhere between, uh, during, their, during their highest time, 
20 to 25,000 people on a Sunday. Did you know that within the first month of Pastor Jack Hiles moving there, 500 people left? What about Liberty Baptist Church down in Mexico City? Missionary Kevin Wynn. How, 15,000? 15,000 every Sunday. Now, today, 15,000 people every Sunday. Did you know that within his first few years of ministry, he built it up to 500 and then they all left? And he had to start all over. Gospel Light Baptist Church, Pastor Bobby Robertson. By the time he was reaching the end of his ministry, I think running 3,000. But when he was 29, he suffered a heart attack, went into the hospital for a month, came out of the hospital to realize his church had split because of the deacons. But he built it back. The Lord built it back. But before he could build it back, uh, those need to go. Those need to be subtracted. Those need to be subtracted. Northwest Bible Baptist Church, high day of 2,200. One day had a split of 800. And what you ask preacher, so preacher Gomez was there for 40 years and he had one split. And for any church to survive that long with only one split, especially independent fundamental Baptists, is fairly rare. And if you ask him today, how did you not have more splits? He said, I had splinters every week. I believe most churches who have never seen multiplication fail during subtraction. Oh, we're going the wrong way. We've got to change something. No, you don't. No, you don't. Now we have got, we've got to move. After Jesus subtracts, when the church is pure, he can not only build, he can build faster. We're multiplying now, not just adding. Along with multiplication comes its own set of problems. Chapter 6, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. They, they had all things common. They gave money, they gave food, and the church was distributing to the people who had need. And there was this impression being given that the Jewish widows were being taken care of more than the Greek widows. And that doesn't look very good. And it's certainly nothing that the church wanted to do, but that impression was being given. So they go to the, they go to the, the apostles. And here's their answer. It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Understand it's a problem, but we can't be dealing with it. Okay? We need somebody else to deal with that one. Because anybody can deal with that if they're full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom and of honest report. They can deal with that. Only we can be fulfilling this call. How does the Lord build his church? Addition, subtraction, multiplication, division. As a church grows, the church must be divided under the care of spiritual leaders, under the care of multiple spiritual leaders so that the members are cared for. You have deacons, Sunday school teachers, we rely heavily on Sunday school teachers here as far as our division is concerned. Youth pastor. We have two deacons. One of them comes to church. <laughs> Brother Danny Davila is one of our deacons. And you know that they're both working very hard to be here with Miss Davila's illness. Brother Ben is a deacon. If Paul were to walk into this church, where are your deacons? Or, or, he, or if he asked, who's this guy? Okay, he's our youth pastor. What's that? Oh, he's somebody who watches over a certain part of the church that I cannot watch over. And he, he oh, a deacon. Yes. And he's paid? Cool. <laughs> Brother Ben is a deacon. Okay. But you have these people. But then Sunday school teachers. Look, here's all I'm saying. The pastor can't keep up with everything in a church that's growing. 
Now, if the church wants to look and say, no, pastor, that's your job, it'll stay 100, 150, as long as I have energy and patience. And one of those is running out, and I will give you a guess as to which, as to which one it is. It's not my job. In fact, according to this, my job is prayer and Bible study. That's my job. So youth pastor, care for the teenagers. And deacons, care for the people of the church. And Sunday school teachers, care for your class. And your absentees. And the people who are under, you should have contact with the people who are in your class every single week. Every week. That is not my job. That is your job. It's my job to feed you. It's your job to make sure that they are fed. Now, I said I wasn't going to preach, but I'm going to preach right here just for a little bit. Shame, 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 shame on any ministry leader who is not reaching out to their absentees, not reaching out to the people who have been entrusted to their care. It is inexcusable, unacceptable for somebody to be missing one week, two weeks, three weeks, and have no contact from their ministry leader. Okay, I'm done. But listen, guys, many, many churches that God wants to multiply, he can't because he can't divide. He can't multiply it because he can't divide it to people that he can trust to take care of the people who are under there. And there's a reason we've divided the church to our ministry leaders. It's so that everybody, nobody slips through. That everybody can be contacted. And it's because we are expecting you to be spirit-filled, wise, of honest report, and faithful in caring for those people who have been entrusted to you. Now, those of you who are under those spiritual leaders, those of you who are in a Sunday school class and who are reached out to by a deacon or, or under a youth pastor, submit to their authority just as you would submit to mine. And submit to their authority and follow them just as you would follow me as I follow Christ. I must never hear of somebody bucking the authority of their Sunday school teacher when you would never do that to me. You may as well just conjure up witchcraft in your home because that's straight up rebellion. Now, spiritual leaders, show love to those beneath you and they'll follow. Show love and they will follow. They're sheep, they're not cattle. You don't drive them, you lead them. People aren't following me. Well, maybe you're not leading. Maybe you're pushing. Acts 6, 5 through 7. Once it's divided, the saying pleased the whole multitude. The church saw the benefit of that. And would to the Lord, every church would see the benefit of Sunday school class and being there and being accountable to somebody who will watch over you other than the pastor because I cannot do it all. They chose out seven men, full of faith and the Holy Ghost, Stephen was. Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on him, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. How does the Lord build his church? Addition, subtraction, Multiplication, division, great multiplication. My question is, do you want to see divine progress here? This is the divine process. Now, this divine process happens spiritually. God will add to you spiritually. He'll subtract from you spiritually so that he can multiply you spiritually. And then use you to divide what he has given you to others. And then he'll give you more. 
It will happen spiritually in a church. It will happen financially in a church. It will happen numerically in a church. Sometimes you're going to see a lot of adding, and then you're going to see back. But then you'll see more, and then you'll see back a little bit. It happens constantly, over and over and over and over. This process happens in a church as a whole. It happens in the groups within a church. So what does that mean for us? What are we supposed to do? Because that's the divine process. So what are we supposed to do in the divine process? And I think you've noticed, I hope you've noticed, throughout any phase that they were in, addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, and great multiplication, their job never changed. Pray, rely on the Holy Ghost, preach boldly and purely, love one another. That's it. You just keep doing that and let Jesus do his part. Keep praying. <clears throat> During invitation time, I want any man who is interested, and I don't care if you're a teenager either, I want any man who is interested, if the Lord is truly speaking to you about it, to write your name on this sheet of paper and over however long it's going to take until the Lord gives me clarity on it, I will pray over your names and I will choose three of you to not be in Sunday morning service, but the three of you to be in prayer together during morning service. Put your name on the piece of paper during invitation time if the Lord leads you to do so. And I will pray over your names. And if I choose you, I will hold you to a ridiculously high standard. I want you to be here every single service. I want you to be in prayer. If I find out it's turning into a joke time, I'll remove you. I'll replace you with somebody else. But I believe if we had three men who determined to get a hold of God every single Sunday morning, first of all, to give us more space in here, Second of all, I think it will do more. I believe it will do more than we could ever, ever hope, ever even imagine. Keep praying, keep relying on the Holy Spirit, keep preaching and praying boldly, and love one another. Be mindful during the subtraction times. Be mindful. Is the Lord coming for me next? Is he giving me my time to repent now? Or is he going to have to get rid of me too? Be mindful during that time, but don't be discouraged. If you're right with him, he's doing his work. Let him purge. Let him purge. It will be so that we can move forward quicker and pure and with more power. During the multiplication time, be prepared to step up. Anything I can do? Because we're multiplying, we're going to have to divide at some point. Anything I can do? Be prepared. And then if you're given something, be faithful. Be faithful and be, be thankful that God has enabled you to be a part of his church. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.